Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Welcome into the Hang Time Podcast. I'm your host, Seku Smith, here in the bubble. It's an all-Smith edition of the Hang Time Podcast today. The big bro, Steve Smith of Michigan State fame, NBA champion, should be a Hall of Famer, rocking with us here in the bubble. Smitty, I know you are uh, locked in on this NBA Finals, man. The, the Lakers and the Heat in a really interesting matchup. Having the history you do with the Heat, knowing that organization top to bottom, inside out, how important do you think it was for Pat Riley to see this happen now at this time with LeBron still in the league, an opportunity to square up against a guy that he helped win championships before? You know, Seku, I think that's a great question. Um, the reason why is I don't think Pat Riley wanted no other way than to face LeBron James. Uh, he didn't even say it. He said he was angry when LeBron left because he thought they could have won win five, six championships. But I think he's got over that. But I think more important, like you said, now. And the reason now is uh, he didn't do what most organizations usually do, Seku. That's that rebuild, you know, that word rebuild. He kept them relevant. There was at one point when everybody was scratching their head when he was paying guys and people thought it was, you know, too much for the Tyler Johnson, the Deion Waiters, or the White Sides. But I think when you look what he did with those guys was, hey, I'm going to overpay you a little bit. They have that type of talent. If it doesn't match up, I'll be able to move you because it wasn't that much money. It just looked like it from the time of paying those guys that type of money. The Heat are unique in that. A lot of these organizations around the league, Smitty, talk about a culture, and they refer to it in terms of how they're doing things. But you notice a star player will leave or a coach, you have a coaching change, and what look like culture evaporates. Why is it that the Heat are able to maintain a certain way of doing things and a certain standard no matter what the circumstances? Is it strictly because Pat is running the organization? He plays a big part, but I think also – Say, because you've been around for so long, if you just look at top to bottom, and I mean bottom to top, the Miami Heat from media to in-game operations crew to trainers, it's the same loyalty, it's the same guys preaching the same message. And that message is, started with Pat Riley. You know, his message is, we're going to be in better condition. We're going to be hard workers. And he said it, I want tough players, tough-minded players. And we're going to be better prepared. And then you look at it, you start looking at the lineage from when I played uh, Ted Harrison to Mickey Harrison. So that's just two owners since 19, well, since this franchise started. Right. Eric Spolstra was with Pat Riley from since the video, he was a video coordinator. And then when you look at all the people, whether in broadcast and uh, scouting, front office, uh, Lonzo Mourning, Tim Hardaway was there when he had a chance. So they keep it with the Heat family. So that message is repeated over and over, not only just to talk, it's just the way you go about things. And I think the one we're really missing, say cool, which, you know, me and you are not, but the public is, 
Udonis Haslam. Yeah. I don't know the last time Seiko, that's your department, has checked into a game. <laughs> Everybody talks about how important Udonis Haslam is to the Miami Heat franchise. I mean, you look at it, it's all about winners, and, and Udonis is at the top of that list. I know Bam Adebayo talked about having Udonis in his ear. You know, you're talking about a 23-year-old budding superstar, big man that, that they found. Um, and, and I look at their draft in Smitty, and when you're talking about putting together a roster, they got all these pieces, in theory, shouldn't add up to a championship team. It's not like they got three or four lottery picks right. on this team. They got Jimmy Butler, who was, you know, the bottom of the first round of the draft he came in in. Bam and Tyler Harrow are picked at a, at a reasonable spot, but neither one of them forecasted for the kind of stardom they're having now. Kendrick Nunn, who's not even in rotation, was second in the rookie of the year voting and ended up having an outstanding season for them. Is there something to the, the scouting department and the way they evaluate talent that makes them have a different vibe with players? I mean, do guys know that around the league that if you go to Miami, they see something in you that maybe nobody else did? I think so, Seiko, and I think you hit it best. Their scouting is different, and reason why is Pat first is looking for toughness, in my opinion. You know, then he's looking for a winner. Then he's looking for a guy that's not scared to grind. You, you've heard it from all the years around from back 20 years ago. Miami isn't for everybody. And then when you get there, you look at the glitz and glamour, the palm trees, and everything that Miami's offers off the court. But between those lines, it's not for everybody, Sekou. And I think that's the one thing is you come in knowing, I got to get in shape before I get in shape to go get in shape with the Miami Heat. <laughs> That's the process of the Miami Heat. People say, I got to get in shape before I get in shape. No, you got to get in shape before you start to get in shape to go get in shape. That's crazy. This matchup with the Lakers, you look at it on paper, and Miami's the underdog, whatever. They're the fifth seed. You know, the Lakers were the top seed in the West. They got LeBron, they did. Miami doesn't have stars on their roster like that. But I don't feel like this is some David and Goliath matchup. It seems like a much more specific matchup when you look at the way they play down here in the bubble. And this is a unique environment for a player, Smitty. I can't imagine anything more odd than the way this playoffs has played out and, and having to do it in this environment. Do you look at the matchups and say to yourself, here's LA's decided advantage. They exploit this, they win this series or Miami can do this. Is, is there anything that direct when you're looking at these two teams in terms of matchups? I think Seiko for me, Back when training camp started, you said Lakers and Heat. We thought that David and Goliath. But I think as we got a chance to go throughout the season and then the stoppage of the pandemic, then also, like you said, the bubble and everything we've all been through, it's tailor-made for the Miami Heat. Bunker mentality. We're all for one. We're together. And a lot of teams say that, but I don't know if teams preach it and live it the way the Miami Heat. Then the way they play. What surprised me, Seiko, is you have young guys, you wait for them to develop, but they didn't get a chance to play a 482. So now you talk about their young guys and Nunn and the hero and even Bam, even though he's an all-star. Those guys didn't get a chance to have that season. And then you throw in Duncan Robinson, and then they come down in their bubble, and they look not better than they looked in the regular season, but twice as better, and they look comfortable. Yeah. You mentioned their exposure, and they've got a, an interesting dynamic there in – is it different when players, Smitty, know that the front office is not only faithful to the coach above all things? Because I remember when Wade, Bosch, and LeBron were playing for the Heat, and we thought 
just the way LeBron would walk off the floor and walk past Eric Spoelstra, we're thinking, oh, his days must be numbered. The, you know, the coach is not going to survive that pressure and this cranked-up atmosphere. But they've stayed the course with Spoelstra for years. I think he's probably one of the more underrated coaches I can think of in the years I've been around the league, just in terms of a guy who doesn't get credit for the success he's had. How do you weigh the coaching component in this finals between Frank Vogel and Eric Spoelstra? I think Sekou to go back to like the, just a little history when the rumblings was, you know, with this big three, Dwayne, Bosch and LeBron, the rumblings was Spoelstra at one point. And then Pat Riley came in and said, Spoelstra's not going anywhere, period. That's it. I think next it comes down to when you watch Spoelstra, we've been around Sekou, you never hear players complaining about Spoelstra. I just haven't heard the superstars. I haven't heard the guys in the middle of the road or the young guys complaining. There's always praise for them. I think also next is, you know, you've seen this when management, ownership, and coach is not on one accord. You hear the rumblings and they're talking and different things. Everybody's looking for their next job. It's like one voice between those three, ownership, management, and spoke. And I think also when you look at right now what they have is, I think spoke. Even though when he had those three, that was a lot of pressure. I think the pressure now Spo is putting on himself is we're not just supposed to be here. We get this opportunity, and it's a great opportunity to come win. I don't think they're looking at themselves as underdogs like everybody else is. They're looking at is we're in this. There's no home court advantage. We get to see you every day. It's going to come down to if you beat us, you're the, you're the better team in those four games. Somebody mentioned this the other day, Smitty, and I didn't think about it, that we're basically a year since training camps and media days to start the 2019-20 season. And I thought about what kind of a tax that takes mentally and emotionally on guys who are so regimented on the, mm-hmm. you know, showing up at training camp at a certain time. The season, you know, regular season ends mid-April. The playoffs start here. I feel like the, the break – gave everybody that's still playing, these last two teams that are still fighting for this championship, if that gave them just a little bit of an energy boost and allowed you to come back for the restart with a completely fresh perspective on how you attack being in the bubble. Yeah, I think so. I I think, one, Sekou, it gets a chance for you to go back home, reflect on what's important, obviously what we went through, all of us off the court, and how we live our lives then I think it also fast forward to these two teams' leadership. And I give, you know, you look at the coaching staff of the Lakers with Jay Kidd, Frank Vogel, Lionel Hollins, Phil Handy, all those guys who've been there, been around. Uh, and with the leadership of LeBron, that helps. When you have that type of leadership, you don't have that, you have that, that togetherness and that camaraderie and that chemistry. Same with the Miami Heat. I think these two teams mentally was made for the bubble because of their leadership. But I think what you said is best is you got a chance to reflect on, like all the teams here, what we've been through as a country, what we've been through as human beings, and the opportunity if you do decide, you know, as the NBA and Player Association to play in this bubble, let's make the best of it. And I think the Heat and Lakers have done the best job. And not because they're in the finals, but you've just kind of seen the way they've gone around their business through the adversity of, you know, losing games or not playing well. I haven't been here from the start, but I know people have been here in upwards of now 90 days. I know you came down a little bit after me, but what has been your impression of just how they've done this? 
I mean, I don't know if you could put yourself in the shoes of these current players and think how that would have happened in your era because I don't know if it would have been safe. It was a rougher, tougher NBA back then. I don't know if you get the Knicks in the heat in the same, you know, proximity or that we'd ever, everybody would make it out of here in one piece. But how do you evaluate just the logistics of how they've done this? I think from a standpoint of logistics, it's been phenomenal. You know, the arrangements, the testing, clockwork on everything. And I know it wasn't, you know, easy. And I wasn't, like you said, wasn't here from day one. But it seems like, you know, this was well thought out by the Player Association and NBA and all who's involved in putting this together. But I think fast forward as a player, not even – Nick's Heat opponents with, I don't know if my 90s group would have liked the players on their own team and could have stayed. (laughs) People say, well, how two teams would have got along? I don't know how some of my teams, us together would have got along. Before we got to opponent, I think it would have been hard. I think um, in some ways, social media and technology helped. Because being able to FaceTime, being able to have these, you know, interactions with your family, you know, through Internet. But then fast forward to being able to walk. I mean, I know me, you and a couple of our colleagues was eating. I was amazed. We were sitting there and I was looking. I said, there's one team and there's two tables over. There's another team. I'm scratching my head like, (laughs) how would this would have worked? I know there would have been some when you walk past. I hope y'all. I'd have been some different type of words. Y'all ready? <laughs> they sitting too close. Right. It would have been a different type of tension. I will say I take my hat off to this new era. This generation has found out how to work together on some key issues, especially the social uh, unrest, but then also to be able to leave that off the court and compete at a high level and then in turn after the game go right back to the mission at hand. So I take my hat off to them to be able to wear those two hats. Yeah. We'd be remiss if we didn't at least touch on the breaking news that cracked before we could even get to game one, which is Doc Rivers out as the Clippers coach. After resurrecting a franchise that would really, I don't know if you can resurrect something that was never (laughs) alive before. (laughs) But I mean, he put a completely different stamp on that organization before the ownership change from Donald Sterling to Steve Ballmer. And then they played with expectations, championship expectations this year for the first time ever. Doc is out. Rumors flying, Smitty, about who's going to replace him, potentially Ty Lue, um, all sorts of things. We got five, six coaching openings in the league. What's your take on the state of coaching right now? Just where some of these teams are? Are the expectations out of whack around the league that people just assume a coach is going to come in and magically – turn you into something else or I mean where are we in in that respect totally out of whack Seku. let's start off just uh whether you're a fan or not D'Antoni and Houston first we looked at D'Antoni threes pretty much lackadaisical defensively and they they achieved a lot they didn't achieve the ultimate goal to win the championship uh people thought maybe in this bubble they had a chance so you look at Houston you say who's up next to change this all around and what would you say a training camp per se or four or five months before we restart to get them at championship level? Because when you have two MVP players, there's someone in their prime. I'm still thinking championship. Next is um, Indiana Pacers. Why? You <laughs> say, what did McMillan do wrong? Oh, I don't have Sabonis. Uh, Victor Oladipo, my best player, 
decided to come play in a bubble, which probably could have went either way as far as his injury. He didn't have to play. Malcolm Brogdon had been struggling. I think he had COVID, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. So you talk about your three best players going through some tough times. And, oh, no, Jeremy Lamb. And the list goes on. And I thought he did a great job. So let's see what they do. And then we get to Doc Rivers, like you said. What is that before you even plant the plant the trees? I, I guess he was the soil of the Clippers because <laughs> have soil. I mean, he built the foundation, and then all of a sudden you're talking about growing into a lot of us, including myself, picked him to win a championship. Yeah. Yes, they came up short. But doesn't Doc Rivers, let's say it again, Doc Rivers, I think he's probably with the coaches left, it's gotta be second, or no, no later than third, got the most wins and playoff experience. And, uh, won a championship, why would he not get at least started a season to see what was going on? If you're that brass, you got something better coming that you figure that can take this team to the next level. I think part of this, Smitty, is the way Steve Kerr went in with the Warriors and won immediately and competed over and over again. For the Other organizations look at it and go, well, we need a coach that can come and do that. Well, you better have had somebody who laid the groundwork before him and drafted Steph and Clay and Draymond and developed, you know what I mean, and grew this team up. I'm conflicted because I, I love the idea of some of these coaching hires. I think the Nets hiring Steve Nash is a is a stroke of creative genius potentially. If you get him in there and he has the impact on those guys, this is a league where you don't you don't outsmart the rest of the league, Smitty. You don't often have something that nobody else has thought of. So I don't know where your advantage is in the coaching. When you think, you okay, we switch coach, this guy lifts us up. Remember Brad Stevens was the boy genius. They still haven't made a finals in, in all his years in Boston. I just wonder, are teams looking at the wrong thing in terms of trying to elevate themselves when, you know, you're looking at coaching, and I'm saying to myself, maybe it's player development. Maybe it's what Denver's doing. You know, maybe it's what Miami's doing. Maybe it's what these teams – uh, that are growing and developing their young players, that's the way that you circumvent this thing as opposed to something else. I think the prime example of the Dallas Mavericks. Won a championship, um, stayed loyal to Dirk. We know Dirk in his last couple of years was on one leg. But it's been the same, I would say, culture and system. And look now, I mean, I, I would know coming next year, you start to think about, hey, we've seen the Western Conference Finals. Dallas Mavericks might be as high as three or two in some people's mind for his favorites in the Western Conference next year. And this was a team two, two or three years ago that was, you know, not doing well, but I love the way they competed. Yeah. We got a, we got a lot to sort through in the offseason. We don't know how long that offseason lasts. But right now we got some stake on the plate. We got the NBA Finals coming up. I don't do predictions, Smitty. I think it's, I think it's trivial to try and predict things. Let me ask you something different. Who do you think is the player that leaves this finals having put a completely different shine on who he is as a player? I, whether win or lose the series, who's the one guy you look at and say, this is his opportunity to step on this stage and brand himself completely in a completely different light on the NBA final stage? I think um, from a standpoint of the Miami Heat is Jimmy Butler. You know the rumors out there, whether it's fair or not, uh, Jimmy's been the problem. I think Philly might want to retract that if that's coming from Philly. <laughs> I think he's the player right now. Not only is, is Jimmy the problem, is Jimmy, you know, can he be a number one guy, you know, and take a team and lead them to the finals? So he's answered that. I think on the Lakers side is Anthony Davis. 
I think this is huge for Anthony Davis. Um, probably more pressure on Anthony Davis than on Jimmy Butler, in my opinion, because you right now with LeBron, I mean, you're leading you're leading in almost every category in the playoffs, and you're the favorites, and he must put his brand on this series for the Lakers to win. So I think it's those two guys. I think um, the one area I think we'll be talking about, Seku, just a basketball standpoint, I'm glad you brought up player, but I think the one we will be talking about is zone defense. How much will this zone for either side? Because I saw the Los Angeles Lakers, this Lakers had to go play zone against the Denver Nuggets to win a game. I saw the Miami Heat rely on it, but they've been doing it all year. If how successful these zones will, we'll see teams next year coming out playing more than usual zone. Because I think the Miami Heat has played over 170 possessions of zone in the conference finals versus the Boston Celtics. Yeah, which was amazing. I mean, and it completely befuddled the Celtics in game two. Then they went back to it when they needed it to choke Boston out and win that series. It's going to be interesting, Smitty. I'm ready to dive into it. Media day is today. Um, game one, Wednesday night. Everybody make sure you tune in and watch the finals. You got all of the press conferences to be on NBA TV. And we'll be rocking with you here on the Hang Time Podcast until it's over in the bubble. Smitty, I'm, I'm going to start packing up now. I see the end of the light in the bubble. I, it's time to start cleaning this hotel room up. We're going to ride this thing out, man. I, I look forward to it. And I, I look forward to picking your brain after each and every game to figure out what's going on. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the same thing. So I just have one question. Are you taking that bike with you? Uh, if they don't put me in jail first, I might get out of town with the bike. But I, I think they're looking for me now, boss, right now. <laughs> We've been known to keep our bikes overnight around here, which is against the rules. Yes. <laughs> just so you know. Steve Smith here on the Hang Time Podcast. Make sure you tune in wherever you get your podcast. We'll be back live from the bubble throughout the NBA Finals.